And so, Father, we take our Bibles now, and with humble hearts and careful hands, we open them to receive a word from you. Father, thank you for the congregation gathered this morning. Would you strengthen us, renew us in our inner person, help us, Father, to have a renewed confidence in your Bible, a renewed confidence in our salvation through Christ alone, by faith alone, that as we step through the uh, doorway of a new year, that we would have a, a sense of your presence in our lives, and that we would live with a confidence and a boldness that we are your people, and we're the sheep of your flock, and you are our shepherd, and you will guide and direct us, and you will meet our needs, and you will get us where you want us to go. So, Father, this first day of the new year, we dedicate this time to you, and may it be most beneficial for us in strengthening us in our walk. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many of you know that uh, for the first part of my adult life uh, in ministry, I ministered to young people a lot, all the time, both in youth group settings and in Christian school settings. And one of the things that I would do once in a while, and I think that it came out of a, a frustration sometimes, I would stand before a group, sometimes 100, 150 teens in our youth group, and I would, I would just think, look at the potential in this room. Look at these young men and women. And most of the time, most of our Bible church 14, 15, 16, and 17-year-olds, most of them hadn't really messed up their life too badly yet. Do you know what it is to mess up your life? And so one of the things that I would be so challenged by in my heart was that if they would just do what God's Word says, they could be a success with their lives. And I was thinking about how I used to, uh, and sometimes, like, just throw out my lesson and go up to the marker board and just say, now everybody listen to me, I'm going to give you the formula for success for your life. And they would say, yeah, right, Pastor Van, you know. And I would say, I guarantee you, if you do this, you will be a success. And then I would just start writing stuff on the board that would come out of my head. And I did this at my desk yesterday. So I would go, if you begin with S, okay, and then I would take five minutes and I would say, S stands for salvation. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, young people. You know grown-ups do too, right? And, and I would say, you've got to get to a place where you know you're a sinner, because if you don't know you're a sinner, you don't know you need a Savior who came to the cross and took his, your sin upon himself so that you could look and live, so that you could admit your sinfulness, receive his salvation, and be born again. Because what good is it, Jesus said, if you gain the whole world... And lose your soul. So would you agree with me that S for salvation is a good place to start in the formula for success? Alright? If we don't have that straight, we're not going to be a success. And it was my heart desire for young people to know Christ. And, and so, but then I know a lot of people who, they know Jesus. Everybody knows Jesus, right? Yep, I know Jesus. He's got him right here in my hip pocket. You know, I prayed to receive Christ when I was seven years old in vacation Bible school or at day camp out in the woods and and I've been living for myself ever since. And so I would say, young people, the next part of the formula is another S. S plus S, salvation plus surrender. 
You've got to get to a place where Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Would you agree with that? Because there's a lot of Christians that graduate from high school, quote-unquote Christians, and go off to college or whatever, and they really muck up their lives bad. And they don't look like Christians. And I could just go on and on. And so then I would throw stuff. Like I said, I'd sometimes be making this up off the top of my head. And I'd say, um, you also plus O-B-S. S plus S plus O-B-S. This is obedience. O-T-S. Obedience to Scripture. Duh. Do what I say, not what I do. And then I would say, plus, oh, you got obedience to Scripture, so if God says it, you obey it, right? But then you can't walk around, and it's O-T-P, plus O-T-P, obedience to parents, right? Because if you want to mess up your life, just don't do what your parents say especially if they're godly people. You see where I'm going? And so I would write out this formula, and I'll just pick it up here. Plus, we have to add H, humility. If you'll be a humble person and not arrogant, because God elevates the proud. God elevates the humble and brings down the proud, right? And so you got to be humble. And then, let's throw in here, because you're 18 years old pretty soon, and 19 is the apex of idiocy. Let's put it, plus P, plus P. you got to be pure with your life. Morally, sexually pure. All this ties in with OTS and OTP, right? And then you have um, plus SH. And that would be a servant's heart. That you would esteem others higher than yourself and not be a punk. And, and then plus, plus faithfulness. you got to be faithful. You can't just... For five minutes, pay attention to what's right, right? And then plus, and we know that I can give my body to be burned, and if I have the tongues of men and of angels, and, and if I do all kinds of things, it's nothing if I don't have what? If I don't have love. And then I would say, and young people, this equals S. Success. Right? You follow what I'm saying? Now, I thought that was pretty good. They made fun of my formulas a lot and mocked me and... Um, Sometimes I want to go find them because I hear stories about them and I want to wave my formula in their face. And I say, 15, 18 years later, who was right? Well, it's not because I'm so smart, but um, I was just thinking along the lines of New Year and New Sunday and, and fresh beginnings. And I knew that we would have a gathering here that was out of the ordinary in the sense of not in our normal flow of our message series. And I just wanted to challenge us along the lines of living successfully in 2012. Don't you think that's a worthy subject? Because you do know, as John Maxwell says a lot in his leadership seminars, that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. Right? If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. So if you're not happy with how you've been living in 2011 and you don't make changes, it's not going to be indifferent in 2012. In fact, sin has a way of being insidious and permeating. And sin has a way of uh, putting us in a slow flush, doesn't it? In fact, things don't stay the same. Things get worse. And if we're not careful we can end up living far outside of God's plan of blessing for our lives.
Now, I admit that uh, although this is all based on the Word of God and biblical principles, God doesn't present it like that, does He? But don't you know that in Scripture, God does give us the way of blessing. And that's what I've titled this morning's message, The Way of Blessing. You might call it God's Formula for Success. And he presents it in numerous different ways. It's why, as we'll see in a minute, central to his plan of blessing, central to it all, is the saturation of Scripture in my life, the surrendering to the Word and the will of God in my life. Well, will you take your Bibles and let's turn to Psalm 1, and I'm not going to belabor the message. You look sharp and wide awake for being up so late last night, and um, I think that you can get it. But I want us to read Psalm 1. I know that for many of you, the book of Psalms, and if you're new to the Bible, if you hold your Bible and just split it open in the middle, you almost always will open at Psalms. You can try it. It it works almost every time. And then find the very first Psalm. And uh, you know that Psalm is an Old Testament word, basically just understand it as meaning song. You know how we sing You see, God's people sing. Almost no one else sings except entertainers. Have you noticed that? Unless they've been drinking. We don't condone that or encourage it in any way, shape, or form. We get together and because of the song in our heart, we sing. Because we have a Savior who picked us up from the miry clay. Who gave us His righteousness when we didn't deserve it took our sin and nailed it to the cross by no merit of our own, then we sing. And that's why we sing in Christ alone. You know, an amazing grace. And my Jesus, I love thee. And I totally recognize that if somebody hasn't been in church world or around Christians and you walk in, that it might not feel right to sing. Well, hang around a while and I think you'll get to where you like it. You'll especially like it if God gets a hold of your heart and you become a new creation in Christ and you begin to sing. And God's people have always sung. And one of the greatest songwriters that ever lived was a shepherd boy named David. And he, among with several other writers, but he wrote most of what we have in our Bible called the Book of Psalms. And these are songs with no music. Right? These are all of the text to the songs that David particularly wrote, but we don't know what they sounded like. People have taken them and made up tunes for them. And so know that when we read in Psalms, you're reading the text to songs, S-O-N-G-S. And so therefore, almost all songs are poetry. And Psalms is in our Bible in the section of what we call the poetical books. Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Poetical books. Because they're written in poetical form. And so that's helpful to just kind of know how to think about it. But I know that many of you love the Psalms already, don't you? And you don't know where to turn in your Bibles and you turn to Psalms and you just kind of thumb through and you start to read. And because they were songs and it's poetry, it's emotional. And it's a lot about David and his relationship with God. Many Bible students believe that Psalm 1 is 
in many ways, an introduction to all of the Psalms. And uh, that's enough about the Psalms right now because we're going to run out of time, but let's read our text, okay? Psalm 1, written by David, and he writes this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the, in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Don't you love that phrase? Got to underline that. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's interesting. We don't have time to break it all down, but... If you would meditate through Psalm 1 for the next several days, and I mean really work it over, and when you think you've gotten everything out of it that you can get, spend two more days meditating on it. And you'll be surprised the insight God will give you. But one of the things you will see is that this psalm is filled with contrast. It's filled with contrast. The righteous versus the wicked. The prosperous, and then even without saying it, those who are not prosperous, those who will live eternally with God and those who will not live eternally with God. And so that's one of the things you want to keep in mind. But for our purposes this morning, what I would like to do is just quite rapidly, I would like to challenge our hearts as a church body from Psalm 1, first day of the new year, on five points of instruction concerning the way of blessing. The psalmist is going to give us five points of instruction. They're not necessarily parallel, but there are five specific points of instruction that if you want to live a blessed life, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to think. Now let me just give a, a little bit of a disclaimer because some people will hop on phrases like, and then whatever you do will prosper. And I want to make clear that this is not a health and wealth gospel. In fact, if you ever watch televangelists and they say, if you do this and you do this, the doors of heaven will open up and pour out on you. And what they mean is your bank account will grow, your checkbook will always be balanced, you'll always have extra $20 bills in your pocket, and you'll be able to buy a new car. And I say, bah humbug. Okay? Bah humbug. God might choose to do that. But there is no kind of a trip lever in, in the Bible that you grab a hold of that lever and you whip it down and the doors of heaven open and pour out on you. So the way of blessing isn't just physical and material. Alright? And in fact, in my lifetime of ministry, some of the most blessed people that I know have been very humble, very plain, very ordinary, and even very poor people who know the joy of the Lord, have lived a life of God providing for them day to day, who have the, the most love to share. And you look back and you say, you know what? They have been honored by God. They have lived a blessed life. And they don't have millions of dollars. 
So be careful with that kind of mindset. Instruction number one, I want you to notice out of our passage for the way of blessing is a call for separation. It's very interesting to me in this text that the very first thing he does is he says what not to do. And so the psalmist says, if you want to be a blessed person, that is a person who is filled with spiritual joy, who you are under the blessing of God, you are God's person, and your life is marked by His pleasure upon you. And you have the joy of the Lord in you. You are a blessed person, happy in Christ, happy in the Lord. All right? Then the very first thing he says is what you need to not do. And notice... The first thing he's going to do is make a call for separation, and he's going to say, first of all, avoid certain people. Let's look at the people we have to avoid if we're going to live the blessed life. Blessed is the man who does not, there it is, walk in the counsel, first of all, of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. I don't want to make too much of this, because I think really they're all kind of one and the same. I'm not sure that it's a progression of wickedness or a progression of wicked people. They are just godless people. These are people who couldn't care less about the fact that God created them. They couldn't care less about the fact that God created the world and all that is in it, that Christ is at the center, that God has spoken in His Word. In fact, they just they don't care about any of that stuff. They want to live for themselves and they're all about themselves. And some people, given even greater extremes, delight in their wickedness. They laugh and make humor at perversity. They love it when other people, especially righteous people, fail. They love to see the righteous fall. There's something just perverse in their head, and they're unrighteous, and they're godless. And the first thing the psalmist says is, you better watch the company you keep. Because if you want to walk in the way of blessing, you better watch out for the wicked. You better watch out for sinful people. You better watch out for mockers. Ultimately, the mocker isn't just a person who thoughtlessly and mindlessly lives sinfully. He is, he is the person who has lived in his sin so long and in his sinful arrogance makes a mockery of God. And says very foolish and unwise things that written in God's book one day will be quoted for them before the great white throne judgment as they fall on their face before King Jesus and they will understand their own godlessness but it'll be too late. I had, I had some wicked friends in high school. I try not to have too many wicked friends now. Um, try to have enough to share the gospel with needy people always. But I remember one of my wicked friends, you know, he was just godless. And he used the name, the Lord's name in vain all the time. And his language was utterly filthy. And he loved to hurt people who were weaker than he was. And one of the things that he would say to me is, Pastor Ryan, he didn't call me pastor, I was his friend, I was 17. He would say, he would say, Marso. And he would add a few more descriptive words about what he thought of me. And he would say, You can talk all you want about that stuff, but I'm just going to die and go to hell and party with all my friends in hell. That's just stupid. That's just stupid. What do you do? Just make up your own system? That's not how it works. There's no parties in hell. 
Don't make a mockery out of the righteous judgment of a holy God on sinful people. Don't mock that. You ought to fall on your face and tremble in front of that stuff. And that's wicked people. That's sinful people. I don't have to describe them to you. They do a great job of promoting and producing many television shows about wicked people and what they do. And we love to sit on our couches and watch wicked people for entertainment. And we especially like it when it's reality wicked people who are really being wicked and being arrested and all kinds of things. And so you know exactly what wicked people are and sinful people, and it's people who couldn't care less about God's word. They don't obey God's word, and they don't walk with with God in any way, shape, or form. In fact, most of them don't even believe in God. They think that they came from nowhere out of nothing. Avoid certain people. The second thing he says is avoid certain places. You do not want to walk in the counsel of the wicked, he says. Now, I do believe there is a bit of a progression here. Notice, as I come across the platform, he says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's coming alongside somebody who is wicked, and then we're starting to talk, and I'm receiving their counsel. Hey, Marceau, this is what you ought to do. Hey, what are you doing after the game Friday night? This is what we're going to do. And I'm walking alongside them, and they get my curiosity, and so then I decide to stop walking with them, and I am now standing with them. Do you see that? I stand with sinners. I'm hanging out with sinners. I haven't just walked down the sidewalk with them. I now stop and drink coffee with them. And this isn't to reach them with the gospel of Christ. This is to be a part of what they are. You know, even adults, I've noticed, do this kind of thing. Third thing, he says then, is I sit down. I sit down. I identify with them. Those are certain places you do not want to be. You do not want to be under the counsel of the wicked. You do not want to be in the way with sinners. And you do not want to be in the seat of mockers. We need to pick it up here a little bit and move on on our instruction. But the first thing he says for the way of blessing, the first word of instruction is, you had better separate from certain things. And I want to warn you, and I want to tell you something. Especially in churches that are calling people to live for Jesus, one of the things that has become very uh, spiritually, politically incorrect is to tell people they can't do stuff. Did you ever notice that the Bible is filled with things you're not supposed to do? Hey, don't do that. What do you mean I can't do that? It's a grace system, man. It's all about grace, you legalist. Call me whatever you want. I'm just telling you what God's word says. You cannot do certain things and say, I'm going to be in the way of blessing. You cannot identify, there cannot be such similarity and comfort with us and sinful people and still expect God to bless us. God's people are to be a distinct people. God's people are to come out from among them and be holy. It says in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The second word of instruction, or the second point of instruction, is the priority of Scripture. Okay, If you want to walk in the way of blessing, notice the priority of Scripture. He says in verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Woo! How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, one of the things I want to point out here is that he's talking about the man's attitude, isn't he? David says, my attitude was, 
one of delight. You know, the Bible doesn't make sense to you if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Savior. The Bible is a spiritual book. The Bible is a book, believe it or not, we teach this and the Bible teaches this and this sounds real. Woo! Okay? And that is that when you come to a place where you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've come to the cross and you know that the cross represents the point where you admitted your sinfulness And Jesus carried your sin to the cross. And by faith, you believe that to be true for you. I am a sinner. And Jesus, you died for me. And I accept your forgiveness in Christ. Then you're a new creation in Christ. And the Bible teaches clearly that the Spirit of God lives inside you. That's why we play basketball inside this room right here. Some people call this room the sanctuary. I never call this room the sanctuary. This is not the sanctuary. This is just a room. Here's the sanctuary. The dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Now, I know what people mean, and I'm not critical of them. I didn't mean to sound critical. If you're one that does that, it means this is where we worship together, and we worship in a sanctuary. All right? But the dwelling place of God is in the believer. All right? That's where he lives. And what my point here is that until the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, and you're born again, and you're saved, then the Word of God makes very little sense to you. Isn't that kind of... So you mean to tell me that if I get, I'm convicted about my sin and I know that God created me and I know that he loves me, I know that my sin separated me from God and I know that Jesus Christ came out of God's love, died on the cross for me and I say, dear God, I admit I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Save me from my sin. Make me your child. I'm a child of God, the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit then lives inside of me. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Can't feel it necessarily. Can't, can't touch it. You don't like get a halo that starts growing on your head. All right? But certain things happen, and one thing is you start to hate sin. You start to care about people. You start to realize that some of the things you've done have just been about you and selfishness and not about God. And then another thing that happens is you hear the Word of God or you start reading the Scripture, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's right. That's exactly right. And the more you grow and the more you're in the Word, the more you grow with it. Notice that the psalmist delighted in the Word of God. The priority of Scripture in his life. He delighted in it and he was disciplined in it. He was disciplined in it. Look what he says. He says, my delight is the law of the Lord. That's just another word for the Bible that he had at that point. And on his law, God's law... I meditate day and night. Listen, you don't meditate on anything day and night. You don't become consumed with anything without disciplining yourself. You make it a priority. You put little note cards in front of yourself. You build things into your life for accountability. You build a system into your life where you wake up in the morning, you get your cup of coffee, you sit down, you look at the calendar, and today's January 1st, so you open to Proverbs chapter 1, and you get your book, your, your fill of a little shot of wisdom that morning, Proverbs chapter 1 on January 1. And then you open to the Psalms and you meditate a little bit. And then maybe you read in, in one of the epistles, uh, pastor's preaching in Timothy. Let's read some Timothy. Maybe 1 John encourages you. Maybe a little book of James. Maybe you're going to read through the whole book of the Bible. Maybe you're going to get in, the, in uh, on the, online and, and download and print out a through the Bible in one year chart. And you're going to check off the little boxes as you, but you won't do it if you don't discipline yourself. If you're not disciplined. And you know, the funny thing about discipline is nobody can be disciplined for you. Do you know that? No one can be disciplined for you. David, 
loved the Word of God. He, the Word of God ministered to him, and we won't take the time. If you especially look in Psalm 119, he talked about how he would rise at midnight even just to ponder the Word of God. We need to be a people who are soaked and saturated with the Word of God. Let's just look at the third instruction that I want to go to, and it is ultimately the formula for success. So he's, call, he's given a call for separation. He's given us the priority of Scripture. It's got to be there. The next thing we're going to see in verse 3 is a picture of strength. He's going to say, you're going to be like a tree planted by rivers of water. So that's the third word of instruction. It's a picture of strength that God's Word will bring to you, like a tree planted by the water in contrast to chaff that blows in the wind. But then the fourth thing is what I'm calling the formula for success in this passage Look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. What does that mean? Whatever he does prospers. Does that mean like you never make a mistake? Does that mean like you, everything you do turns to gold? You know, I think it's, it's a way for David as he communicates in this song to say... You will be in the way of blessing and your life will be characterized by the prosperity of the wholeness of the blessing of God across the board in your life. And it is amazing how this works out at the physical level. Most people who I know who are humble before God, who have lived in obedience to the word of God, are people who are not in debt. They are not people who are addicted to drugs. They are not people who are getting drunk. They are not people who are having affairs. They are not people who are getting pink slip for missing work because they're lazy. But they are blessed and they are prospering. And, and I've done the funerals of many old godly people who did not live notably fantastic lives. They were just faithful, humble godly people who let the word of God guide their lives, who stayed disciplined and they lived their whole life simply and, and you stand by their casket and you do their funeral and you know their bills are paid. The room is filled with people who love them and people give testimony of how they've ministered to them. Their way was prosperous. Their way was prosperous. They never begged for bread. They never went without they didn't fall apart when the doctor looked at them and said, you've got cancer in your lungs and it's moved to your brain and it's in your liver or whatever it is and you've got six weeks to six months and they didn't just melt all over the floor, bawling, screaming, kicking. They said, thy will be done, Father. It's not like they wanted to die, but they had the hope of heaven. I mean, they, were, they just they knew how to live. They were prosperous in that way. You know, this is characteristic of the whole Word of God. In the New Testament, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7. You don't, have to talk, talk, you don't have to turn there. But do you remember the story that Jesus told, a little parable, about the man who built his house upon the rock and the man who built his house upon the sand? Do you know what the defining difference was between the two? The man who built his house upon the rock, when the storms came, Jesus said, his house stood firm. He didn't fall apart. The man who built his house upon the sand, when, when the storms came, his house fell apart. Do you know what the defining difference was? It was, Jesus said, who has my word and does it. That's the one who's on the rock. 
Do you remember how Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, I mean, think about Joshua. He was the sidekick and the assistant, the personal assistant to Moses. Perhaps the greatest leader apart from our Lord Jesus Christ who ever walked on earth. And Moses for 40 years, Joshua for 40 years had been an assistant to Moses. And then Moses is gone, taken out of the picture, and God says to Joshua, now it's your turn to lead my people. You're going to lead them into the promised land. And essentially, if you read between the lines, what Joshua was feeling was, I can't do this job. This is beyond me. And do you remember what Joshua 1, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 say? You just keep my commandments, obey my word, keep it in front of you, and I will make your way prosperous, and I will make you a success. And it was all about keeping the word of God central. And so the formula for success and the way of blessing is always through the scripture and the obedience of scripture. I know I'm preaching to the choir to a lot of people today. But let's just conclude with a couple of questions. My fifth word of instruction is a contrast with sinners. He's going to give some instruction as a contrast with sinners. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. That is, they're not going to make it through and be noted and commended. They will not assemble with the righteous. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's a word of contrast, righteous with sinners. So his points of instruction for the way of blessing have to do with a call for separation, has to do with the priority of Scripture, has to do with the picture of strength, has to do with the formula for success, the Word of God, central, and then he contrasts with sinners. So that's how he instructed his way through there. Let me end with three questions. Three questions. First of all, based upon what we received here this morning... Are there any relationships in my life? Are there any personal relationships in my life that are outside of the blessability of God? Verse 1. Do not walk, stand, or sit. What kind of relationships do I have around me in my life? Some of us need to wake up and smell the coffee and realize that part of the reason God isn't blessing us is because we're in a group that is unblessable. We run with the wicked. We think like sinners. We are unrighteous in many of our mannerisms. We need to change those relationships. Second question, am I thirsty for the Word of God? Am I thirsty for the Word of God? David said, it's my delight. And I meditated on it, on it day and night. And I so desire it. And, and I, he disciplined himself to live in it. Are you thirsty for the word of God? Picture being hot, mowing the lawn, opening up that bottle of water, ice cold. Good thing God put water on the earth, you know? Just water is just perfect. You're thirsty. What's your attitude towards the Word of God? Only you can adjust that attitude. Thirdly, is the word picture that would best describe your life, is the word picture that would best describe your life that of a tree flourishing by rivers of water or chaff that is blowing in the wind, worthless chaff, throw away from harvesting grain? Where on the continuum would you put yourself? 
my life is a flourishing tree, deeply rooted. Or my life, it really is chaff. The way that that's going to change has everything to do with your attitude towards the Word of God. What's the way of blessing in 2012? The way of blessing in 2012 has everything to do with our surrender and our obedience to the Word of God. Let's bow in prayer, please. Before I close out and pray, why don't we just be quiet for a minute and you ask God to just poke you a little bit with what you need corrected. Some of us need to start coming to Sunday school. Some of us need to start reading our Bible. Some of us need to go home and download that page off of just Google through the Bible in a year and download a printed page where you start checking off the boxes and read through your Bible. Somebody might even need to take classes, Evening Bible Institute. You might need to start meeting with somebody and just be discipled. But you need to get the Word of God at a, at a high place in your life so that He can begin to bless you. The blessing of God only comes through the Word of God. So Father, take our lives and, and rework them and help us to bring change where change is needed. And, and Lord, though I've been speaking in a general sense today, would you help us to make specific applications now to our lives? That if there are godless relationships, if there, are, if there is a laziness or a an overwhelming love of the world and, and the delights of the world, would you help us to become convicted about these things and make changes and let your word be central and start living in obedience and caring about what you think about us? Would you just help specific application in each life so that we can make change where change is needed? Help us to live surrendered lives in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.